because we have not given him a great deal of time off. <laughs> and he's got a young family. And isn't that such a blessing yeah. to give you all that free time? <laughs> um, so, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for him. Thank you so much. These lighting fires all over the place. And we just say thank you. You have privileged us with receiving from uh, the distillation of what you placed in this man's life over many years of seeking you. Thank you for the heart of David, which is in him, that you're his one thing, that you're his pearl of great price. And we just want to say, James, we love that. We bless that. And we just pray from this church, every ounce of protection, every single blessing that God has placed here, we release it into your life. And we just say we stand with you as you contend for a nation. And we just want to say with you that we long for this nation to be changed. And we thank you, Lord, that it's in your heart that the best things are yet to come. And so we stand with you and we we thank God that you're right at the front calling the army into being and calling us onward. And so... Lord, we just ask for more open doors for his ministry. Yeah. We want to ask for more team who are going to be a support and bless amen, and amen. take off all the admin and all the gunk and all that. Take it <laughs> off his shoulders. Yes, we want to pray Lord. that you bless Rebecca and the children and yeah. keep them safe. Yes. We want to pray for awesome friendships. We yes, want to pr- pray that you protect them from all the schemes of the enemy. Yes, Lord. And that you would continue to use them mightily uh, across every generation. And amen. Father, we just want to stand with him and say we long for young, the young to Amen. rise up into the fullness of who they are. Amen. And so give him his special favor in millennials yeah. and 20s yeah. and teenagers yeah. and children, a special favor to form the next church leaders, yeah. the next missionaries, the next yeah. Christian business leaders, yeah. the next teachers who are going to teach yeah. proper stuff, not the whatever. Yeah. Uh, so bless him, Lord, in Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I receive that. I am so thankful to be here. Thank you, James, Lou, the team, all that have made this possible. Uh, Nigel, Julie, thank you for hosting us. <laughs> it's been a blessing to be with you. I'm going to be carrying on from where we were this morning. Uh, if you're here this morning, how many of you weren't here this morning? Any hands? Oh, gosh, you were not here this morning. Hands up. Okay, just a few. Good, good. So if you weren't here, it would be good to just catch up on some of that. I'm not going to go into uh, what I shared this morning, but I want to pick up on that. Now, prayer has different dimensions to it. And uh, in this morning's sessions, uh, because we did like two back-to-back, I was kind of looking at some foundations and uh, looking at intimacy with God and kind of laying those foundations for longevity. Uh, In this session, I want to talk about contending prayer. Because what I tend to find is sometimes people can lean into intimacy with God and think that's all there is to prayer and not realize there is a contending side of prayer that is very demanding and requires your engagement. I'll call it the part that uh, uh, engages intensity and tenacity. And that is very necessary for revival, for a move of God in the land. And that is a dimension of prayer I often, say, I often see lacking uh, in many of our church expressions. Uh, even in my, in my home church, I, uh, so I lead a ministry called Prayer Storm, and we do lots of things, events and gatherings, and you know, I travel as well every now and then like I'm doing here. But I'm part of uh, a leadership team of my local church. I'm not the lead pastor, but I'm on the teaching team there. And uh, recently, we had some people from our team go over to um, Asbury. You heard about the Asbury move. And so one of the Sundays recently, um, maybe two Sundays ago, I think, the pastor and one of the other guys that was there 
They shared about their experience there. It was so powerful. And they shared about a lot of the things that birthed that move of God and a lot of the behind-the-scenes travail prayer. And then um, it was powerful. It was stirring. And afterwards, they kind of started leading us in, in prayer. And uh, the prayer went something like this. It, it started out, you know, like people, you know, we're just going to respond to the Lord. By the way, the teaching was around travailing prayer. <laughs> I'm not going to go into that right now. I might touch on that today, though. But anyway, so we're going to go and pray right now. And so everyone starts to kind of pray, but I'm, I'm feeling frustrated in the front because I can feel that people have, uh, uh, what's the word, <laughs> defaulted to a mode of prayer that is not the mode of prayer that's necessary for the response in that moment. So what I mean is this. The mode of prayer people switched into was a sulky receiving mode. And so that went on for a while, and then I went to the pastor and said, you know, I've got something I would like to say. <laughs> and so I came up and said, this is amazing what you're doing, but we've just talked about travailing prayer. This is not the moment to soak. Oh, Lord, I just received from you right now. I... No, 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 no. I said, when Anna in Scripture was crying out for a baby, she wasn't soaking. When Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wasn't soaking. When Elijah was praying on the mountaintop for rain, he wasn't soaking. He was, they were contending. So you pour yourself out. You're releasing something from within yourself. It's like a cry to heaven. And it's, 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 it's intense. It connects with emotion. I often say, listen... If the prayer is not moving you, why should heaven be moved? If you're not bothered, why do you think heaven is going to be bothered? In fact, I want to say this way. A casual approach to prayer produces casualties. If you just take it, oh yeah, whatever will be, will be, you know, I'm just going to go through the motions right here, and you're not engaged with it, you become a casualty of the war in the heavens. Because your lack of prayer has consequences, and your in, intense and focused prayer has consequences. And so the enemy is watching, the angels are watching, the spirit realm. See, I can deceive you, and you can deceive me, but we cannot deceive the spirit world. Angels are watching, demons are watching. By the way, I just want to make this announcement. In case you were wondering, angels are real, demons are real, heaven is real, and hell is real. Get over it. Many Christians don't believe these things anymore these days. Oh, you know, such a fairy tale. No, no, no. It is real. The scriptures talk about, take out every reference to angels and demons and spiritual realities and audible voice encounters and all these supernatural. Take every reference to that out of the Bible and you have nothing left. I'm not lying, am I? It's, it's all about the realities of the spiritual world impacting on this natural world. How do you think Jesus could walk on water? Think about it. It defies the laws of physics that a human is walking on water because he was functioning from another world, and the reality of that world over kind of superseded the laws of physics. The, the reality of the spiritual world was superimposed upon the laws of gravity, and because that world is superior, hence he was able to defy the laws of gravity and walk on water. 
It's a proof of the reality that the spiritual realm has a great influence on this physical realm. And if we would learn about the Holy Spirit to tap into some of the realities available to us in the spirit realm, we also can impact this realm. And so we're going to talk about contending prayer. Contending prayer is lacking in the Western church. Contending prayer is necessary to birth the move of God. Thank God for intimacy, where we receive and where we seek and where we befriend God and where we have time to wait on God, sometimes in silence. Thank God for that. But I'm telling you, you can't just have that dimension alone and break into the explosions of God that the nation needs or the region needs or your family needs. You need to step into contending prayer. In, inti in intimacy with God, we can connect with the heart of God. But we have to step into authority to enforce His purposes in the earth. And we don't do that in silence. We will not remain in intimacy if we do not learn how to exercise authority. What do I mean by that? You decide you're going to just seek God and pray and spend some time, you know, just pressing into God, just like we've been talking about this morning. As soon as you decide to make that your focus, the enemy will often try to stir things up in your life to shut you down, to discourage you, and to distract you from that place. And sometimes the attacks can be so real. And if you're discerning, you're like, this is not normal. Every time I'm about to pray, this happens. Every time I set myself to pray, this happens. And the things you, that are happening are always things that are clearly of the enemy to resist you from doing the thing God's calling you to do. Well, in those moments, you know you have to exercise authority against the enemy. You don't exercise authority by soaking. This is what it says in the book of James. It says, submit yourselves to the Lord and resist the enemy. It didn't say submit yourselves to the Lord and pray to the Lord to come and resist the enemy on your behalf. It's not the Lord that resists the enemy. You do the resisting. So there are times when you have to confront things that are clearly the works of the enemy. And you have to resist it in the name of Jesus. And so there's a dimension of that prayer that, or that type of prayer that we need to enter more into. No, so, so what I'm trying to say is we will not remain in intimacy with God if we don't learn how to exercise authority. However, we will not be able to exercise authority if we're not rooted in intimacy. So both are necessary. It's not one or the other. It's both. It's, it, it, it's both. We have to be in intimacy, but we also have to learn to exercise authority. So having said all that, let's turn to 1 Kings 17. We're going to look at a man who was able to walk in this reality of contending prayer. And you would all know about him. Elijah is one of my favorite people in Scripture. 1 Kings 17, this is the first time we hear about Elijah. Um, it says in verse 1, 1 Kings 17, 1, and by the way, I'm, I'm reading from the New King James. It says, um, <laughs> someone says, whoop. <laughs> Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitant of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years except at my word. That is a bold declaration from a man we know very little about. Because as of this moment, we don't know anything about Elijah. We don't know where he's come from. 
apart from Elijah the Tishbite. We, we don't know anything about his upbringing. Elijah shows up a grown man. But he had, he had to have been through the dealings of God to get to the point where he could make such a declaration that was backed by heaven. Are, are you tracking with me? Elijah had been through a process with God that we don't know much about, but we get a bit of an insight in the New Testament. Now, he shows up a grown man and he's making a bold declaration that heaven backs. And so we can look at this and go, wow, what an incredible man of God, you know, and just be wowed by how God used him to shut the heavens. And I'm not just wowed by that. I am more interested in what happened behind the scenes. How was God able to entrust such authority to a man that he released a de- what seems like a simple decree and the heavens were shut for three and a half years. So there is a lot more to this story than we see in the scripture. Let me just go on a side, let me just sidetrack, let me just go on a tangent a bit. You know, I think one of Adam's problems, you know Adam, you know, that was created by God, right? One of his problems is I, I think he had a lot to deal with, but he had no history. So I think one of his problems is the fact that he was, he was, uh, he was created a grown man. He was never a baby. He never went through any process with God. He did not have any history with God. So he was a grown, he was like a baby in a man's body. Now, we don't know how long he was with God before the fall, but it's interesting that, you know, he didn't have that sort of history of God. Now, the reason why I'm making that point is I'm trying to emphasize uh, the reality of building a history with God. Elijah had history with God. So we're not just going to be wowed by what God did through him. I am more concerned about what God took him through for him to get to where he got to, to make such a decree that heaven backed. Now, we see, we, we have just a little bit of insight about Elijah's life in the book of James. I believe it's James 5. He says, Elijah was a man just like us. So Elijah got angry, Elijah got mad, Elijah got sad, Elijah was a human being, he was just a normal person. However, what differentiated him from other people is this, he prayed. Elijah prayed that it would not rain. Okay, so what sort of prayer was he praying? That he was able to um, lay hold of enough authority in his relationship with God, where he was convinced he had broken through in that prayer, then he could stand before the king and release the decree. You see, what we read in 1 Kings was not Elijah's prayer. What we read in 1 Kings 17.1 is Elijah's declaration that there will be no rain. 1 Kings 17 doesn't tell us that Elijah prayed. James 5 tells us Elijah was a man just like us, and he prayed. Everyone say, and he prayed. That is the key thing. And he prayed. The sort of prayer he prayed, I believe, is contending prayer. So there is a dimension in prayer where as you pray, it's like you begin to program the atmosphere for what God is about to do through your prayers. Those sorts of prayers don't happen or don't, don't take place in just a few minutes. Those sorts of prayers require longevity of time of investment. Those sorts of prayer requires a lot of 
stamina to be able to stay. We call it staying power. To be able to stay in the presence of God and keep contending for what you know God wants to do. By the way, Elijah knew God wanted to shut the heavens. You know how we knew that? Because the people were in disobedience to God's laws. And he knew from what the Lord has said that if they were living in compromise, the Lord has said it earlier that he would shut the heavens when they were living in compromise. But they were living in compromise and sin and, and backsliding stay and the heavens went shut. So Elijah probably took it upon himself and said, Lord, the nation is in a backsliding place. And Lord, you said you would shut the heavens and now the heavens aren't shut. Would you shut the heavens as a sign so that there would be an awakening in the land? Because Elijah was a revivalist. He was concerned about the nation turning back to God. So even though we don't see these details in Scripture, you can see the, the principles through Scripture, through the Old Testament, that the Lord said He would shut the heavens when the nations, when the nation, the nation of the people of Israel are living in rebellion and living opposed to His laws. And so Elijah was able to contend in prayer for the heavens to be shut from experience. Contending prayer is very demanding on, again, your flesh. Where did I talk about flesh? This morning. Because I did a session this afternoon, and I'm trying to remember where I said what. Yeah. Contending prayer is very demanding on your flesh. So let me just kind of even stretch that a bit more. Because this morning, I, um, I don't know, maybe this afternoon, I made reference to Acts, uh, uh, the day of Pentecost, coming on the back of days of prayer. Um, you know, I don't, I don't feel this as much in West Sussex, but in places like Birmingham, in places like Manchester, you know, there's an increasing, growing uh, Muslim population. Now, we love Muslims, and we believe they need to encounter God too. However, there's something you need to realize about the Islamic culture. It's a prayer culture. Now, listen, we want to have prayer meetings. They have a prayer culture. We have a prayer meeting. They have a prayer culture. And so prayer is powerful regardless of the kingdom you're in. So those who are not even engaged with Jehovah God, they engage in prayer and they empower forces of darkness. Because prayer engages the spiritual realm, which is prayer. Which is fast? Is that shocking to you? Oh, by the way, witches exist, in case you didn't realize. It's not just something in Africa. <laughs> I, I, am I making sense here? Okay, let me just tell you a story. In case you think I'm talking about something that's just out there. Oh, who is this crazy African guy telling me which is a right here in West Sussex? Well, let me just burst your bubble for a few moments. Is that okay? Yeah. My mother-in-law, who's white, she went for, um, I don't know what these things ladies go for. <laughs> you, know, you know, and massage and all that stuff. <laughs> The lady doing all that on her side talking, obviously engaging conversation. And this lady tells her that she is involved in the occult. This is right near where we live in Macclesfield. And starts telling her of the sacrifices they offer on the mountains in the region. So my mother-in-law starts talking to her about Jesus. Well, long story short, she ends up accepting Jesus into her life. After they pray together, do you know what the lady said to my mother-in-law? She says... I know that the spirits in my house will not be happy that I've done what I've done here right now. That's a white person right here in your country who is very much involved in your cult. 
And what I'm saying to you is witchcraft and occultic realities are so present today. And many times in the West, we are in the church oftentimes. We're blind to that reality because we think it's something out there. And we don't realize witchcraft is right here in your culture. It's just been repackaged for the Western mind to easily receive it. The witchcraft in Western sex is different from the witchcraft in Nigeria. The witchcraft in Nigeria is different from the witchcraft in Brazil. But they all have different packaging to connect with the people of the land. <laughs> Are you with me today? I know you don't tend to hear about witchcraft all the time at church, but I'm going I'm to tell you everything and I'm going to be off. And then James can deal with the rest. <laughs> can deal with the mess. <laughs> so people on the dark side know how to engage spiritual realities. Now, listen. How are you as a church going to influence the spiritual atmosphere of this region if there are witches and there are people involved in the, on, on the dark side, if they are more submitted to Satan than you are to God? How are you going to extend in authority to influence the spiritual atmosphere when they are ready to do anything Satan tells them to do, but you are debating with God about what he's asking you to do? And as they engage with darkness, they release the powers of darkness. By the way, Satan has powers, and God, Jesus said that himself. I give you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and all the powers of the devil. Jesus did not deny that the devil has powers. So all this idea, oh, the devil has no power. No, no, you have no idea. You have no idea of the enemy you're up against. And one of the important things about warfare is understanding your enemy. Didn't Paul tell us not to be ignorant of the devices of the enemy? Think like how the enemy will think if he was going to strategize to destroy your life. What would the enemy do if he was going to destroy your life? What are the weak points he was going to attack? Think like the enemy in, in that be aware of those areas that could be vulnerable areas for attack. That's what you do in warfare. You can't be blind and ignorant of the fact that we are at war. Now, the war has different manifestations, and I'm not out here trying to say to you, oh, yeah, there's a demon in your cup of tea. There's a demon in your water bottle. There's a de I'm, not, I'm not talking about demon hunting. I'm talking about being aware, spiritually alert. Some of you are watching movies that have got demons in them, and the purpose of that movie is to release oppression over you. But you bought it with your money, you watched it, you allowed it into your home through the portal of the TV, and now you've given access to those spirits of perversion and depression because you're welcoming it into your home through your TV. And you think that doesn't have an impact? It does have an impact. You can watch things, you can listen to things that open you up to demonic influence. And the sooner you start to realize that, you know, your eyes, your ears, these are gateways for influence. The more you start to be on guard and not just take anything that's thrown at you, watch anything that, you know, is, is trending. You know, you don't live that way. You live under the government of heaven. So people on the dark side seem to be more educated about spiritual realities than people in the light. So they are so given to sacrifice. They are so given to the, you know, the demons that they serve. And we on the light side, we're kind of still debating with God and, and not sure about it. And so here you see Elijah, before he could shut the heavens, through prayer, he was able to almost like 
And I think of it this way when I think of contemporary. It's like you're programming the atmosphere for what God wants to do. The reason why it's consistent is not because God doesn't want to do it. Because we'll come to this in a moment. Because when Elijah received um, uh, the word from the Lord, later on, the Lord said to Elijah, I will send the rain. The Lord said that. You think, well, the Lord said he's going to send the rain, so Elijah just needs to chill out and, you know, God's going to do it. In fact, let me just go into that right now because that connects to First Kings 17. Later on, I don't know if it's uh, chapter 18, somewhere around there, or 19, Elijah receives the word from God, and the Lord says to him, I will send the rain. The Lord said that. Elijah didn't make that one up. The Lord told him, I will send the rain. The natural mind would compute that as, okay, well, the Lord is going to send the rain. This is great. I'm just going to go home and chill out and wait for the rain to come. So this is where we misunderstand how spiritual things work. The fact that God said he's going to do it does not mean he's going to do it without your participation. The fact that God said it's his will to do something doesn't mean that thing is going to automatically happen. Now, just like prophecy, there are certain prophecies that regardless of what you do, is going to happen. Jesus is coming whether you like it or not. That is going to happen. There are certain dimensions of prophecy that are conditional and will not fully manifest until you engage with the prophecy itself. This, a picture of this is when God said to Elijah, I will send the rain. You know what Elijah did? He went home, wrote a book about it, posted it on Facebook and Instagram, and went to sleep. That's what a lot of us did. Made a video about it. Guess what, guys? The Lord wrote a sermon. The Lord spoke to me in the rain. Is, I had a powerful encounter. The Lord said the rain is coming. And I was like, yes, the rain is coming. Yes, the rain is coming. And that's the end of it. That's what many of us do. The fact that the Lord said the rain is coming does not mean you just preach about it. Elijah didn't even preach a sermon about the rain is coming. He took that prophecy from God, and he went on the mountaintop. The Bible says he put his head between his knees. Now, you read what it says there. It doesn't actually say he prayed. He just said he put his head between his knees, and he sent the servant to keep looking if there was any answer to the prayer. That posture Elijah was in is a posture of travail, and it's the posture that women were in when they would give birth back in the day. Now, even though Kings doesn't tell us that Elijah prayed, we know that was a praying posture because in James, the Bible says, and Elijah prayed again. Kings doesn't really give us a lot of insight as to what's going on, but by the Holy Spirit, James could see that when Elijah placed his head between his knees, he was praying again. So that was a contending, travailing prayer posture. That is the posture we need to take, spiritually speaking, if we're going to birth anything of significance for God in the earth. It is pushing past our comfort. It is consuming of our emotions. It is not just praying uh, written prayers or memorized prayers. It is prayer. You know, sometimes prayer goes beyond words and becomes cries. There are times prayer goes beyond just nice theological words and transitions into groans. Have you ever had so much to pray you had no words to speak apart from just cry? Those prayers have more depth to them than all the nice words you can try to put together. Because in prayer, it's more important to have words without a... It's more important to have a heart without, a, without words than words without a heart. You have all the nice words, but there's no real heart behind it. It's just, just going through the motions. 
The prayers that move heaven are born from a heart that's moved. That, that's, not, that's not accepting the status quo. Elijah was not accepting the fact that he was going to pray the first time and there was going to be no visible manifestation. He kept pressing in. One. Oh, I lost my, my watches at home. <laughs> I was trying to look at the time to keep track of what, where I'm at. Okay, good. He kept pressing in. He kept pressing in. And every time he looked, there wasn't a manifestation. He kept pressing it until he saw a sign. Now, let me put all that on pause and come back to 1 Kings 17. Because there's maybe one or two things I want to bring out from this about contending prayer and the result it brings. So, Elijah, having spent all this time praying, he had secured breakthrough in his closet. Then he came in the public to activate. Are you with me? He came in the public to activate that which he had already secured in the privacy of his home. A good example of that is Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. When Jesus raised Lazarus from what did he say? He said, thank you, Father. I know that you have already heard me. So the prayer he was praying in public was an activating prayer for the power that he generated in private. So when he prayed and he says, and he released the declaration, Lazarus come forth, he wasn't just saying that, that those declarations or those decrees were backed by heaven. And so there was an instant manifestation. And so you could go and say, well, Jesus released a decree. I'm going to release a decree. It's going to happen. Not necessarily if that decree is not backed up by the investment in the secret place and also in alignment with the will of God. Because it's not everyone that God wants to raise from the dead. Some people, God wants them just dead right now. It's like, okay, they're done, over and done with. I don't mean that in a horrible way, but what I'm trying to say is, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, so we just go and raise everyone from the dead that's dying. Not necessarily. The will, the will of God trumps your prayer request. I hope you realize that. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So one of the foundations for contending prayer is being convinced about the will of God in a particular matter. You cannot exercise faith where the will of God is unknown. You cannot exercise contending prayer type of faith if you're not sure what the will of God is about the matter. For example, I know it's God's will, according to Scripture, that none should perish. So if you're here, you have a son that's a prodigal, you have a husband or a spouse that's a prodigal, it's God's will that they don't perish. So I am convinced about that. Now, the fact that you've prayed that once or twice, the fact that you've pushed into prayer for that, and you've not seen a manifestation, does that mean it's not God's will? No. Okay, well, why don't, why don't we apply that to Elijah? Elijah went on the mountaintop. He prayed the first, second, fourth time. There was no manifestation. The fact that he didn't see a manifestation, does that mean it wasn't the will of God? No. He was going through the process of contending. When you contend, you have to push against resistance. All sorts of resistance. It could be things in the airways. It could be things personally. It could be the fact that people have set their will against the purpose of God. And as you're contending, God is actually releasing things 
by his spirit to soften their hearts, to change their hearts, to align them with heaven. There's so many dynamics going on you have no idea about. But your stance of contending in prayer actually causes an acceleration of the purposes of God in certain spaces. I remember some years ago, I was on uh, uh, public transport on the bus. I don't know where I was going, but I was on the double-decker bus on the top, and I was seated in the front, and uh, there was like a big gap. There was like no one else on the bus apart from a group of young people at the back of the bus. I don't know if down here in the south, you know what scallies are. Do you call them scallies? What do you call them? I don't know. What's the word for them? Scally, like scally, like young people that dress a certain way and talk a certain way. Well, they call them scallies in the north. Chavs, chavs, at the word chavs. Okay, 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 chavs. <laughs> Have I got my, uh, my sweat rag here? I don't know if it's there. Okay, oh, there it is. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so these chavs, God bless them. I don't know the but you know, they were just dressed a certain, and it was like a gang of them at the back of the bus. And they were having such an intense, loud, intimidating conversation. And I was in the front. In fact, they were all kinds of foul language, and it was just intense. And I was just in the and I'm just minding my own business. And all of a sudden, I just feel the Lord say to me, Pray for them. So I'm like, Okay, okay, okay. So I started to pray in tongues, and I was praying about, if I didn't know, I was just praying for them. To my surprise, honestly. The moment I started to pray, their conversation changed. Do you know what they start talking about? Church and God. <laughs> I am so shocked. I'm like, am I, is this really happening? From all the junk and filth they were talking about, to transition from that to, to talking about God and church was a miracle. So I was... At the front of the bus, just thinking, Lord, this is incredible. What is going on? And I really feel the Lord was saying to me, James, I'm trying to show you that when you begin to pray, I put thoughts in people's minds. But you only happen to be on this bus to see it happen right now and to hear it happen. When you're not there, you need to believe that as you pray, I shift people's emotions. I put ideas in people's hearts. Now, they don't know it's coming from me, and you don't even know I'm doing it. But now you can see that I do it when you pray. So listen, pray when I ask you to pray for the lost. Pray when I ask you to pray for salvation. And even if you don't see it happening and understand what's going on in your natural mind, you have to understand that there's so much going on in the realm of the Spirit you have no idea about. So my stance in prayer is continually contending for the will of God to be manifested. You know, to do this, it takes quite a bit of stamina. And I think I said in the afternoon session, I forgot where I said what, uh, the Western church lacks stamina, spiritual stamina. Do you know where you're going to get the stamina? Go to the prayer gym. Stretch yourself in prayer. Ask yourself questions like, okay, what is the longest I've ever prayed? <laughs> undistracted. Maybe, oh, actually, I don't think I've prayed past 30 minutes undistracted. Well, just like you'll go to the gym in the natural and have some goals as to, okay, I can only lift this so much weight. Okay, by the end of three months of exercise, I want to be able to lift this much. 
you can set yourself spiritual goals. And think, okay, Lord, I'm not able, all my, all my Christian life, I've not been able to pray past 30 minutes undistracted. Well, Lord, by the end of, I don't know, you say, by the end of six months, by the end of whatever, fill in the blank. Lord, I want to be able to spend an hour with you undistracted. I want to build my spiritual muscle. Maybe you can spend an hour on your own with God, and you're like, okay, yeah, I can easily do that. But I've never spent three hours with God on my own. You're like, goodness me, how do people sit and pray for three? Anyone like that? How can someone sit in one place and pray for three hours? And you're like, they must be a super Christian. No. It's just building spiritual stamina. And then you hear someone else say, okay, I've spent the last seven hours praying and seeking God. And you're going, what planet are you from? How were you able, what were you doing for seven hours? When someone tells you they've been spending that kind of quality time with God, that is like in the hours, the six to seven hours, I said it this morning. It's not so much that you're trying to uh, uh, just have this quantity of time to impress anyone. You need to realize to birth spiritual things of substance, you're going to have to invest a lot of time. Did you hear me? I want this to be loud and clear in the minds and hearts of English white people (laughs) in the UK, Christians. (laughs) To birth real spiritual things of substance in this region, in your nation, you're going to have to invest time. And it's not just going to be five minutes. I'm not saying God can't do it in five minutes, but I'm trying to say to you, because of the magnitude of what you're praying and contending for, it's going to take a lot of time to birth it. When my wife was in labor, it didn't take five minutes. In fact, I think the first child took four days. Four days of labor. The second child, it wasn't five minutes either. And in those moments of travail... Listen, she doesn't care who's in the room or who's around because the epidural didn't work. Anyone knows what I'm talking about here? Anyone knows what I'm talking about here? (laughs) The epidural didn't work, so it was all natural. So she didn't care how loud she was screaming. She didn't care who heard her. She was like, get this thing out of me now! (laughs) Honestly... Every man should be in the labor room when your wife is having a child. You really need to. <laughs> Is that true or no? I mean, I'm... because it changes your perspective and appreciate women in a whole new level. When she was pushing for that, it was everything in a system. Some of those cries I will never forget because it was like death cries. Because there's some screams you hear, you know someone is in trouble. And then there's some screams you hear, you feel like someone is dying. It was like the dying type of screams. I'm serious, because I was in tears, weeping. Her mother was in tears, because it was like, what are we going to do? What are we? She, she was travail. She had to push the thing. And, you know, you know, because, you know, it's kind of messy, and sometimes a male nurse will come in, and I'm like, no, I don't want a male nurse in here. I don't want She's not bothered. She's like, just do what you need to do to get me out of this pain right now. So I'm trying to say, when you're in that place of travail, you see, Hours, you, it doesn't take minutes. It takes a lot of investment of time. You need stamina. And if you're going to build stamina, you have to be deliberate about it. This is what it says in Luke 180. <laughs> I've lost my time again. I'm looking at, I left my watch at home and I'm looking at it. Okay, it says in Luke 180, John was in the desert and he grew strong in spirit. Question, 
Are you growing strong in spirit? Your spiritual strength and your spiritual stamina this year, is it the same as it was last year? Is it the same as it was five years ago? In terms of your prayer life and your prayer stamina, are you still able to do... Are you still praying the exact same way you used to pray five, six, seven, eight years ago? Or have you grown in your stamina and strength and staying power? So this is the challenge I want to put to you. I know in this room there will be people at different levels in your prayer life. I'm not asking you to be unrealistic, but I'm asking you to push beyond your norm. So if your normal is 20 minutes, that's okay for where you are right now. But if you want to build stamina, you need to ask the Lord or even say to the Lord, Lord, thank you for 20 minutes, but I, I want to be able to push further. I, don't want, I want to be able to stay for longer. To encourage you, I remember the time I first prayed for an hour. I actually felt like I'd achieved something significant. And I was so excited. I can't believe I prayed for an hour. This is amazing. Now, to pray for an hour is not enough for me. I'm not saying that to boast. I'm just saying, after I pray for an hour, I feel like I've only just started. Sometimes I feel like I've not even started. Because you realize, sometimes you have to pray until you pray. (laughs) Because you start the process of prayer, but you yourself know you're not praying. Anyone knows what I'm talking about here? So you start the process to get you to the place where you pray. And for me, sometimes it might take an hour and a half to get to the place where I know, okay, I'm fully engaged now. Because the first hour, I'm still trying to fight all sorts of things, deal with all sorts. So even though I've been there for an hour, I know I haven't prayed yet. I'm not saying God wasn't there. I know that I haven't got to the place where there is such a flow. It's like I step into, you know, it says you mountain up with wings like eagles. It's like a river. I step into the flow of the Spirit. It takes time and effort. And because I've done this for, you know, for years, I am not discouraged if it takes two hours. Sometimes it's just what it takes. But sometimes I can spend three hours and I don't feel like I've broken through. But I'm not discouraged by that. You know why? Because the time I've spent is still invested. I'm sowing in the Spirit. So I'm going to come back again and carry on where I left off. But why can I spend three hours, four hours, five hours praying and not be discouraged if I don't see a breakthrough? Because I have developed stamina within me to know there are times when what we're contending for needs a lot of hours of investment of time. I know some things don't just come cheap. In fact, I want to say this. If you're really going to know God, you're going to have to take your wristwatch and throw it away. Because you want God to show up in five minutes, and He is wanting to do so much more. He's, see, I appreciate the quiet time of you wake up in the morning, you have your quiet time. That is good, and keep that going. But look at Jesus' life. He woke up early before daylight, uh, and then you also see that he prayed through the night. So it's clear that Jesus did not pray through the night every day. I mean, I don't know how sustainable that would have been. It's clear he didn't do that because he was up in the morning preaching. So the times when he woke up a great while before daylight, he definitely wasn't praying through the night for that, for that particular day. But we know he prayed through the night. So what that gives us a picture of is this. There are times when you have the regular devotional times, and then there are times when you need to have extended time. The, it, 
Now, you could do the night one if that's what you want, but it doesn't have to be night. It could be a Saturday. It could be a retreat. It could be whatever. Many Christians don't know how to carve out extended times with God that's uninterrupted and has many hours. Where it's like, God, I'm here all day. Do whatever you want to do. I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to pray in spirit. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to sing. Whatever. Lord, I'm here to seek you all day. Oh, I'm here to seek you for the next three days. Do you know I won't be doing what I'm doing right now if I didn't go on a retreat? Back in 2007, during a 40-day fast, and I'm not trying to be extra spiritual, it was a Daniel fast. And in those 40 days, I went away to a Christian retreat place for two weeks, and I decided I was going to press into God in prayer. No one asked me to do it. I didn't know what I was going to do next. I just finished university. I was thinking, Lord, I don't know what you're calling me to, so I'm just going to go away and have some time to pray. And that's what I did. And all those two weeks of prayer, I came out with just one scripture. That scripture is still foundational to everything I'm doing right now. And what I'm trying to say is, in my own little experience, I don't think we can go far in God if we don't grow in spiritual stamina. And again, let me clarify, the stamina is the ability to stay in the presence of God, hold on to what He said He's going to do, and keep pressing in. Now, you might intersperse that with worship, you might intersperse that with praying in tongues, but there's still that posture of taking a stand on what the Lord has said He is going to do. There are times where I say to my wife, okay, for the next hour, we're going to pray in tongues together. So, we, we look at the clock. Well, I look at the clock, I'm like, okay, for the next hour, we're going to pray in tongues. We're going to pray over this situation. Now, it doesn't mean in that hour I don't get distracted or things don't come in the way, but the fact is, the more we have done that, the easier it is for us together to pray for long hours. Sometimes you have to set the goal. In fact, sometimes you have to be practical. Set your alarm. Lord, I've never prayed in tongues. I've never, so, I've never prayed straight for 40 minutes. Today, I'm going to try it. See, have you ever wondered what would happen to you if you prayed for three hours? Have you ever wondered what would happen to you spiritually if you prayed for two hours every day for a whole month? Have you ever wondered what would happen to you spiritually if you could spend every week, you carved out seven hours to pray? Well, stop wondering about it and implement it. <laughs> because many of you have the time, some of you, well, I don't know, I don't know all your situations, but I'm convinced some of you, if not most of you, have the time to be able to do that. But maybe you've not just had the vision to do it. Or maybe you think it's for someone that's just extra spiritual. I am saying you need to build stamina if you're going to birth a move of God. I don't see any other shortcuts. You know what Leonard Revenue says? I keep quoting him. He says, revival delays because prayer decays. And prayer decays because the stamina, the strength within the people of God is just dwindling and weaker and weaker. I believe it's in Hebrew. It says, strengthen the hands that hang down. Strengthen the feeble knees. There's something about strength to stay. If Jesus was able to spend multiple hours in the presence of God, I must be able to do the same. Am I stretching you? I hope I am. Because I feel in my heart that the Lord wants you to transition from the area where you've been comfortable in your personal prayer life. By the way, this is not just for the vicar and his wife. This is for every believer you don't have to have a platform to preach. Okay, remind me your name again? Andrew. 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 If James said to you, Andrew, tomorrow morning you are preaching the two services, I guarantee you after this service, 
<laughs> you're not going to go home and watch Disney Plus. <laughs> Netflix or YouTube, whatever you're into. <laughs> so it doesn't do that anyway. Whatever you're into, if it's football, Disney Plus, Netflix, or YouTube, you, after this service, you're probably going to go home and say, oh, God, help me. <laughs> Lord, what do you want to say? So you receive the responsibility from James, and that's going to impact on your prayer. So responsibility affects how you give yourself in prayer. But the sad thing is, many of us only feel that responsibility when it's time to preach on the pulpit. And I want to say to you, you already have that responsibility without the pulpit. So if you would realize that God wants to move through you to impact your family, God wants to move through you to impact your community, just as I should fast and pray before I come here to preach, you should fast and pray before you go to work. And it's so, the spiritual responsibility hits you, then you realize, my goodness, I need God. Because you realize you need God, you're going to start saying, oh Lord, enlarge my capacity. Okay, here's a cup. Some of you spiritually, your capacity is this, and you're asking God for something like a massive outpouring of His Spirit, but your capacity is this. It doesn't matter how much He wants to pour in, you're not able to contain the more. So if you want more, then you have to stretch. Are you with me? And so your stamina has to stretch. Look through Scripture, Moses, Elijah, Abraham, Daniel. These people had stamina. Apostle Paul had stamina. The early church had stamina. Why should that be any different for us? So, contending prayer requires spiritual stamina, staying power, the enablement to be able to stay for long periods of time in the presence of God without distractions. You have to be so deliberate about doing that. Now, I want to give you an illustration, and I'm going to use uh, Ephesians 2 as I wrap up. Ephesians 2, and then we're going to go into prayer. We're going to ask the Lord to <laughs> unlock that warrior. I saw like a warrior angel on that stained glass thing, right? Are we going to ask the Lord to unlock that warrior contending prayer dimension within us? Uh, I want to, listen, every single one of us in this room, you need to realize you are a warrior in the spirit realm. God sees you as a warrior. He sees you as a soldier. You may not feel like a soldier, but you are a soldier. In fact, in Ephesians 6, it says that you're called to put on the full armor of God. The armor of God, you're not going to put that armor on if you're not a soldier. You're, soldiers put on armors. And notice there is no armor for your backside. Have you noticed that? All the parts of the armor you read about in Ephesians says cover the front. Nothing for the back. You know why? Because you were not built to turn your back and run from the enemy. You were built to confront. And even when you're struggling, it says, having done all to stand, you still stand your ground. So even if you feel like you're not advancing, you still take your stand. You are not built to retreat. The darkness is meant to be running away from you, not you from it. You're meant to be a warrior in the kingdom. And you cannot be a warrior without spiritual stamina. And if you're going to be a warrior, you're going to have to be able to confront. 
to lead prayer meetings, to do these things that we're called to do, you've got to build stamina. There is no other way about it. So this is going to be my last scripture, then we're going to go into prayer. So Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 says this. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now, I know that's a bit technical, so I'm going to try to break that down the best I can. Paul is writing to the church. He's saying to them, before you were saved, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, okay? But Jesus made you alive. Can we say amen to that? He made us all alive by him being raised from the dead. And when we're baptized, we enter into his death and we're raised to new life. You all know that, right? You Anglicans, I'm sure you do that. You're raised to new life. Actually, no, no. Is it, is it different? With that? I, I've lost track. What does the Anglican church do? Do you baptize? You do baptize. Because some people sprinkle. I don't know. I forgot now. <laughs> You're all in. Okay, okay, okay. Forgive me if I've offended you. Forgive me. Forgive me. I just don't know. <laughs> But the baptism is the picture of that whole life of, you know, being buried with Christ and raised to new life, right? We can agree with that. Paul says it, right? We're all on the same page. So, we were dead in our trespasses, Paul says to the church, but we were raised to a new life in Christ Jesus. Now, verse 2, he says, when you were dead in your trespasses, you walked according to the course of this world. So what he's saying to the church is, there is a programming that you lived your life under when you were not saved. So he says, before you gave your life to Jesus, you lived your life according to the demonic programming, okay, which he called the course of this world. Then he goes on to it explain a bit with another sentence or a phrase what that is. You once walked according to the course of this world. Now, the course of this world, that programming, was set by the prince and the power of the air. The prince and the power of the air is referring to, the, to Satan, right? The prince and the power of the air, he goes on to say, is the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. So what Paul is saying to the church is, there is a programming in the airways by demonic powers that influence the lives of people that are not submitted to Christ. And they live their lives according to the programming in the airways. Because the prince and the power of the air is influencing the airways, and they don't realize they're coming under that influence. So their lifestyle is giving expression to the programming that they're living under. Okay, great way to kind of illustrate this is a radio receiver. A radio receiver is able to tune into radio frequencies that already exist in this room that you can't see, but the radio receiver is able to give expression to that which is, which is already here. So the radio receiver takes the radio waves, I don't know how it works, and then transmits that in such a way that, or converts that in such a way that you eventually are able to hear some sound. But it's already right here in the airways. Without that radio receiver, you would not be able to tune into that which is already there. 
Okay, now listen to this. Your soul is like a radio receiver. And Paul is saying to the church, that radio receiver of your soul is picking up demonic frequencies in the airways. And your life expresses the spirit you're living under. So, to understand the kind of predominant ruling power of darkness in a region, one of the ways we can discern that is by looking at the lifestyles of the people in that region. Because our lifestyles would give expression, if we're not under the government of God, our lifestyles would give expression to the spirit that we're living under. A fish in water does not know it's wet. Because that's what it's always known. And so you can live under an atmosphere for so long, you don't even know you're under it. And it's influencing your thought patterns, influencing the way you, know, you do life, and you're not even aware that you're under an influence. And so how does this affect, how does this connect to contending prayer? Um, during the revival in South Korea, it was said that the spiritual birth rate was four times the natural birth rate. The rate at which people were getting saved was four times the rate at which people were being born. Now, when you look into that move of God, you understand why that was the case. It's because the church had something called the prayer mountain. And so they invested a lot of prayer, not just soaking prayer, contending prayer. And by contending prayer, which involved a lot of investment of hours, they were able to take charge of the airways over the region. It was said that even unbelievers were living righteous. How do you explain that? Because their radio receivers was picking up righteousness in the airways. Whoever has air supremacy has advantage in battle. So as the church, I mean, how many of you used to go to Soul Survivor? I never went because, you know, not because I didn't want to go, but it ended as I was about to maybe get connected with it. Anyway, point is that a lot of the testimonies I heard from Soul Survivor oftentimes will be around the fact that people, get there, people go there and get saved. Now, I don't know how many days it normally goes on for, but like a week or something. Think about this. In that week, there is worship and prayer going on in the same location consistently. There's people surrendering their, you know, their lives to Jesus, choosing obedience. There's sacrifice going on in that space. And so that going on day in and day out is actually influencing the spiritual atmosphere of that place. So some people step into that atmosphere without realizing before they stepped into that atmosphere, their radio receiver was picking up demonic frequencies elsewhere. Are you with me? And their hearts, as a result of that, became hard to God. But they step into that atmosphere, day one, they might be a bit resistant. Day two, they might be really resistant. Day three, day four, you find that the resistance starts to break. And then maybe by day five, all of a sudden, they're starting to respond to the gospel. And then maybe by whatever, I don't know how long it goes before, maybe six days, by the last day, some of the hardest people start to break down and respond to God. Why? Because they're in an atmosphere where the church, through worship and prayer, has taken charge of the airways, and their resistance to the gospel is weakened. 
so now they can easily receive Jesus into their life. Because you know what it says in Corinthians? That the God of this age has blinded the minds of people. It's a spiritual battle for people to get saved. But we're not going to see that breakthrough without the investment of prayer. And one of the ways we do that corporately is by shifting the spiritual atmosphere of a place. You will notice this, that sometimes you can step into a place and it's so easy to pray in that place. And then you can step into another place and you're like, goodness me, it feels so hard to pray here. Anyone knows what I'm talking about? Because you're dealing with atmospheres. You have no idea what's been going on in the place you're finding hard to pray in. There would have been some things going on there that would have made that atmosphere really hard. Some people will say it's a thin place. You heard that saying before? It's because there's been lots of spiritual activity in that place that now makes it easier to engage with God because the atmosphere has been prepared. So I'm going to finish with this illustration and then I'm done. So I need a volunteer right here. And one of the young people, can I pick on you? Is that okay? Can you come out here? Just hold this for me. Just hold this piece of paper like this and face everybody. You want to hold it kind of quite um, firm like that. Okay. So just lift it. Now, when we... (laughs) When we start praying over a region, oftentimes we are coming from the place of authority, victory in Jesus. We're not praying from a place of defeat. We're praying from a place of victory because Jesus defeated the enemy on the cross and he's given us authority over the enemy. However, the enemy rebels against that victory, so we have to enforce that victory. Just like the fact that the law is passed in parliament does not mean that law is obeyed everywhere. Hence, you have the law enforcers. That's the ministry of prayer and intercession. We enforce the victory. Yes, we're the law enforcers. We enforce the victory of the cross because Jesus defeated Satan on the cross, but somehow Satan still seems to be having influence over your children. So that's the enemy rebelling against that victory. So that's where you rise up as a law enforcer in the spirit. You say, Lord, Jesus defeated Satan. Therefore, that victory, I'm going to apply it over the life of my children. That is intercession. So here, when you start praying, especially when we talk about taking the charge of the spiritual atmosphere of a region, when we start praying, and we're praying contending prayers, our prayers, so this kind of sheet of paper represents the covering of darkness over a place that makes it difficult for the kingdom of God to break through. That makes it difficult to pray. That makes it difficult for miracles to happen. You can fill in the blanks. All these different things that influence the the things that God wants to do. Imagine that as this piece of paper. So when you start to pray, this is what happens. Contending prayer. But the problem is, your prayer pushes through, and you think, you know what? Not much has happened. And so you get discouraged. By the way, we're praying and we're dealing with an enemy that doesn't sleep and doesn't get tired. So you think, oh, you know what, I've done my prayer beat for today and I've not seen much breakthrough. You know, my son has got worse in his behavior. Things seem to be getting worse the more I pray. You don't realize you actually broke through. It might not be the final massive breakthrough, but there was a shift. But because you didn't see the full manifestation, you back up. And when you back up, the enemy gains that ground that you thought you'd gained. So... What needs to happen is persistence to break resistance. So when you push through once like that, you don't stop. You keep pushing through in your prayers. And if you keep the consistency like that, there's going to come a point where the, the layer of darkness starts to weaken. 
because of your consistency. And sometimes that is often done, when we're talking about regions, it's the corporate prayer of the saints. Now, obviously, you can apply that to your home and to a specific situation, but as you keep poking through like this, eventually, there's going to be a break-in. Yeah, you can celebrate for that. <laughs> Thank you. When that break-in happens, you're going to know. No one is going to have to tell you that there's been a breakthrough because it's going to be so easy. Things begin to just flow. The move of God, the, I mean, you could just say to someone, how are you doing? And, they want, and they're like weeping and want to get saved. As in, the simplest of things has the greatest of impacts because now you're living in a space where God is able to, to break through, to move in that space so easily because the church has gained air supremacy. However, the church will not gain air supremacy without contending prayer. And we will not be able to have contending prayer without stamina. And we will not have stamina without, without being deliberate about pushing our limits. You know, if we're used to praying for 30 minutes, saying, Lord, okay, I want to be able to push further. I want to be able to stay in your presence. I want to build some spiritual muscle. Do you understand with me? And can I have the band come up, please? We're going to take some time to pray, and then I'm going to go home and sleep. <laughs> We're going to take some time to pray. Has this been a blessing to anyone today? Yes. Our prayer is going to be simple, but it's going to be fervent. One of the things that I see in the life of Elijah, and I said this earlier, this is going to be one of the areas we pray into. Elijah had intensity. Elijah had tenacity. It means Elijah felt it deeply. It affected how he, his emotions were impacted. He had intensity in his prayer. And he used that to his advantage when he prayed. He gave himself into the prayer. But he didn't just have intensity. He had tenacity. But tenacity speaks of that stamina, the ability to stay, not to be influenced negatively by the passage of time. He stayed and he kept pressing until he saw the breakthrough. So our prayer is going to be for an increase of our spiritual stamina. Say, God, increase my capacity. Shift me from the place of comfort. You know, when you go to the gym, <laughs> it's not a comfortable place because your muscle is being stretched and challenged because if you want to build bigger muscle, you have to lift some heavy weights. And so there's pain involved in that process. And so when you're saying, God, enlarge my capacity, you're inviting him to shake you out of comfort. And the manifestation of an answer to this prayer may not be fun. But if you want to grow, say, Lord, enlarge my capacity. Enlarge my spiritual capacity. I don't want to stay where I've always been. I want to push deeper. I want to be able to host greater dimensions of that which you want to release. I'm asking you to, to, to awaken me from the place where I've just, I just almost like plateaued in my walk with you. I'm asking that there will be a shift in that, that I will begin to 
climb that mountain, so to speak, that my spiritual muscles will begin to grow stronger and stronger and stronger. By the way, I want you to begin to pray along with me as I'm praying. You know, if you want to join in this prayer, just lift your own sound to heaven right now. Don't wait for the band. Band, if you want to play, that's awesome. By the way, don't wait for that. Just right now, just begin to speak your own prayer. Say, Lord, enlarge my capacity. According to Luke 180, John grew strong in spirit. I want to grow strong in spirit. I don't want to be weak in my spirit anymore. I want to, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of desert-type experiences like John went through, I want to keep growing strong. So, Father, forgive me for complaining about situations that you have allowed to grow me. Forgive me for complaining when actually it's an opportunity for me to be stronger in you. Father, I'm asking for stamina to increase, stamina to increase in the name of Jesus. By the way, this is an opportunity for you to begin to stir up that which is already within you. Let your stamina begin to be exercised right now. Say, Lord, I want to be able to stay in your presence like Moses, like Joshua. They were able to stay, stay, and they forgot about time. Lord, I am so conscious of time. Would you grow me to a place where I can spend extended times with you? Lord, I want to go on retreats with you. Lord, I want to be able to spend time in your presence like I've never done before. I want to go deep in contending prayer. Let my stamina begin to increase. Build my muscle, Lord, and help me to exercise in the Spirit. Train me, Holy Spirit. Take me further than, than I've ever been before. Yeah, 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 yeah. Out of comfort, out of the same routines, I want to I wanna go further. Yeah, I want to push deeper. Yes, Lord. Jesus. Yeah. Come on, church. Let's keep pressing in some more. Lord, I don't want to be spiritually weak. I want to be strong. I want to be able to carry the burden, the desire of heaven. I want to have quality and quantity. I want, to, I want to journey. I want to go on spiritual pilgrimage. I want to go deeper. I want to go further. Yeah. 
Now just listen to me. We're going to pray some more, but I wanted to hear this because um, I didn't explain this earlier, but I think this will help some of you when I talk about contending prayer. In Acts 1.8, um, the Lord said to the apostles, you will receive power after that the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word power is dunamis. So we often just think it's all about praying in tongues. Yes, it is, but there's more to it. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you, re you receive a deposit of power. 
but it is potential power. You have to activate it. So, to explain this, do you understand? I don't know if you guys are familiar with what a generator is. Do you guys know what a generator is? I don't know if the young people know that. But a generator is like this device back in Nigeria. We don't, electricity is not consistent. So, oftentimes people have this device called a generator. And um, it helps to, to generate electricity. So, when the electricity is cut out, you can have your personal generator at home. And to activate the generator, you have to pull it. It's like, is this making any sense to anyone here? Okay. So, the generator, you have to manually pull it. And when you pull it the first time, if the force you applied is not strong enough to activate the dynamo within the generator, it's going to rotate for a while and then stop. You know what I'm talking about, right? So, you have to pull it again. And then it rotates for a while, and then it stops. Listen, that is what praying in tongues is like. Paul says, I will pray in tongues. So it's an act of the will. When you start praying in tongues, you can enter into the contending dimension of prayer. But oftentimes, it's like the generator. You have to pull it. Now, when you pull it the first time, you're praying in tongues, and you feel like, you know, you're still very self-conscious. However, they gets a you get to a place when you pull the generator with sufficient amount of force that the internal dynamo is activated. When that dynamo is activated, the generator starts to run itself. Do you know what that feels like? When you pray in tongues, it's like a river coming out of you. You forget about, in fact, you're not even thinking about the words coming out of your mouth anymore. It's just like, anyone knows something? It's like a flow. That is the realm where it's easy to push. That is the realm where you mount up on wings like eagles and you can step into encounters in that realm because now the spirit is activated within you. And on that spiritual energy, you can ride for longer periods of time. But you have to first activate it. Are you with me? The process of activating it means you have to engage the Holy Spirit within you. And one of the ways we do that is by praying in tongues. So having said that, we're going to do that one more time. Is that okay? Is that okay? What's, what's that? Okay. The time right now is 23 minutes past 8. And so we're going to pray in tongues for the next 10 minutes. Drummer, if you're there, I want you to pray, play something that's more like a, a warfare kind of, something a bit kind of, you know, intense. <laughs> All right, are you with me? And so we're going to engage the dynamo. For me, sometimes I like to pace as I pray. I just find it's easy. I just find it's one of the ways I, my body just engages. Because when you pray, your body, your posture, your spirit, your soul, you have to enter into a place where there's oneness within you. Sometimes when you enter so deep in prayer, you forget about what your body is doing because your body starts to almost vibrate in accordance to what you're feeling in the spirit. There's all kinds of interesting things that happen when you enter into a place where you activate the life within you. It's so easy to just ascend. It's so easy to just pray because something has shifted within you. And now you're not just praying on your energy. You're praying on the spirit's life within you. It's, it's just flowing so easily. 
Drummer, are you ready? Can you give us some rhythm? That's good. Can you find a different space? Step out of your seat, okay? And you might want to just face the wall, find a space, and take a few moments to begin to just pray in the Spirit and activate that life within you right now. Rovandanda de lesa tala navananai Rodovala seka tile de balanavandai Oh Landa baila zoto vale de vandre Roto kavala navandai Rava vanda lese balanavandai Rovonane ne malata malede baba baba Abalada bandai balada bai balada bai balada bai yeah, that's it. Kalenamai, 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 Kalenamai. Sila nana naile dado. Ah. Ah. Rama mana na no no ma baba ye kabai zonaye 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 beba mana na mai beba mana mana oh rava vatai e mana doya e mana doya mana na mate bala sofa libanayai 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 libanayai
Come on, keep going. Salada denda, lada bandenda. Zaplene volondo balasava. Rebe gusto balanai. Rama manda volondo manda bai. Belana manda bai. Belana manda bai. Belana manda bai. The spirit of intensity, of tenacity, arise, arise within us. Arise within us. Arise within us. Holy fire, arise within us. Malaye, Malaye, Malaye. Benonando ya, abala zande, abala zande. Rede namazanda, maladoso valesa. Keep going, don't stop, come on. 
right now we're speaking over this church 
that the warrior dimension the warrior dimension in intercession contending prayer will become a normal part of the culture we thank you for an activation taking place even now we thank you for an awakening taking place even now Father, we thank you for that which your Spirit is doing in us even now. We say more, Lord. Let it go deeper. Let it be stronger. Let it begin to define us in a fresh way in our prayer life. Let it not just be in this room. Let it go. Let, let it transcend. Let it go beyond this room and begin to impact our, our time with you at home, Lord. How many of you, even as we're praying, you feel a shift within yourself as we're pressing in right now? Just put your hand up. You see, I'm encouraged to see your hands go up because as we're praying, I just wanted to add this. For many of you, even those of you that have not put your hand up, you're dealing with specific situations in your family, maybe in things that are very close to you right now, where you need to see God break through in. We've just done for about 10, 12 minutes a bit of contending prayer. Now, what you need to do is take this reality home. And this is what it's going to look like. Lord, for the next 30 minutes, I want to pray about my son. Now, you don't have all the words in English, but your mind is set on praying for your son. Lord, for the next 30 minutes, I'm going to contend for his destiny. So right now, all you're going to do in that, if you know you might struggle, set your timer. Lord, starting now for the next 30 minutes, I'm going to pray in tongues. And I'm going to pray and contend for a breakthrough of your spirit over this situation. And so you set the timer, you can start praying in the spirit. And you don't move, even when you feel tired. You keep going. You keep going. Are you with me? And the next time, I'm like, okay, Lord, we're able to do that for 30 minutes. Tomorrow, I want to push for another 30 minutes or maybe for another hour. The more you do that, the more you train yourself to push. So when you come to a meeting like this and the prayer leader says, we're going to pray for West Sussex or what's this Eric called? I don't know. I forgot now. West, oh, yeah. We're going to pray for the youth of West Sussex. We're going to contend for God to lay hold of their hearts. You've already activated your dynamo at home. So it's not hard for you to do it in this space because you've been doing it at home. So you're ready to go. And because you come to the prayer meeting ready to go and the other person comes ready to go, you come with your fire, you come with your fire, she comes with her fire. When we get together, you know what's going to happen? An explosion. Because you have been activating that contending prayer at home. So it's easy for us to come together and have a prayer focus and be able to push into it. The reason why this is so special is this was how Pentecost came. All they did was pray for the very thing God was going to do. Pour out His Holy Spirit. Day one, day two, day three. They kept pressing in prayer for the thing God wanted to do. Now, it took them 10 days. But they would have carried on if it took them 50 days. Because as far as they were concerned, they weren't going to stop 
until they saw the manifestation of what God said he was going to release. In the same way, as a warrior, you shouldn't stop until you see the manifestation of what you know God has said he's going to do. Now, when you start contending in prayer, after a while, you may get tired in yourself. So you know how you sustain the energy and contend in prayer? You balance it with intimacy with God. Did you hear me? You can't keep contending all the time without intimacy. You're going to burn out. So you need to have times where you soak, you receive your love on God, you receive His love, and then you contend again. Are you with me? So... You never stop going because some people are like, well, I've been praying and I'm tired and I feel like God's not answering my prayer. The only reason why you're feeling burnt out is because you have not been deep in intimacy. Because in the place of intimacy, you're energized by his love for you, your perspective is shifted, and you are filled with new strength to push again. So it's like you really never stop contending until the breakthrough comes. And even when that breakthrough comes, there's still other things to contend for. So you're built as a warrior. And so this is our declaration. We speak this to our teams all the time. And we're going to end this session with this declaration. No retreat, no surrender. So when you leave this meeting, you go home, you know, maybe things might get more difficult. And this happens oftentimes. You pray for a situation, it gets worse. Take that as an encouragement. Yeah. Lord, I've been praying. It seems to be getting worse. Those are just reactions in the natural to discourage you from your prayer. Keep pressing in. Get some encouragement in the presence of God and worship. Wait on God, loving God. Let His presence fill you. And then make time to push in and contend again. And this is the thing. As you begin to allow the intimacy with God to begin to uh, become a, reality, a, a part of your your life on a regular basis. Sometimes in the place of intimacy with God, you will receive strategies for the contending part. There may be times where the Lord might say, stop praying this way and start doing this. The Lord might give you specific instructions where your prayer goes from just words to action. The Lord might say, give to that person. That's going to be the answer to your breakthrough. But you're not going to hear that until you get into the presence of God. Are you with me? So you have to start to learn how to stay wait, worship, receive, be empowered, but also how to push and how to push for long and pace yourself, push yourself. And, and I'm going to end with this. The more you do this, the more you're going to find it's so easy to pray in tongues. It just flows. It's easy. You're driving. It just flows. You're, sometimes you don't even realize it, but it's just coming out of you like a river. I remember one time I was driving. I just started praying in tongues. I had no idea that it was the Lord praying through me to stop me from having an accident a few moments afterwards <laughs> because the Holy Spirit knew what was about to happen and all of a sudden my spirit was activated and I started to pray and I had no idea the Lord was actually praying through me to save me from something that was about to destroy me. So there are times when your, your understanding is limited and because you're easily stirred by the Spirit, He can at any moment stir you up and you begin to pray under your breath, wherever you are you're engaging with His Spirit sometimes I pray in tongues in my mind no one knows I'm praying, I'm just in my mind, I'm engaging, I'm like okay Lord I'm just going to take this next five minutes to just pray in the Spirit 
build my spirit man up. Lift your hands with me. Let's just pray as we dismiss as I hand over to James. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing here in West Sussex. Thank you for everyone in this congregation. I'm asking, Father, that that which is being activated here would get stronger and stronger and go deeper as we leave this place. We don't want to just pray here and go home and not pray. Lord, we want our prayers at home to take on a whole new dimension. For discouraged and wounded warriors in this room, I ask that there will be a revival of faith, strength, courage, vision, perspective, that there will be an awakening of your spirit within us. Tomorrow morning as we wake up, I ask that there will be a whole new dimension in our prayer times with you, that there will be a life, a fire released to us, that we're able to work this out. And that, Lord, we're going to begin to see the impact in our personal lives, in our marriages, in our families, and also in this region. Thank you, Lord, that even though we're giving ourselves to you, we know that all this is by your Spirit. So we receive enabling from your Spirit, Lord, to push deeper. We can't pray without you. So we're asking for the enabling grace of your Spirit within us to keep us quickened and alive, to go deeper like we've never gone before in you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and thank you for coming. Can we, I just want to do one final thing to seal this evening before we close up. But I'd love us, I'd, James, we're going to just let him uh, slip off now. Uh, he's served to the max today. So uh, we, I know we just showed our appreciation. James, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amazing. And this is, this is what I want to do just to finish, um, is I think um, to step into this, we're going to need to, it's going to require us to exercise our authority in Christ. And that has been given to us. It's been shared with us as co-heirs with Christ by Jesus. Uh, but I, I just want to sort of say to us whether um, there's been times where it's been stolen, it's been robbed, there's been challenges over the last few years that we've had to face. We've all been through the pandemic, da-da-da-da-da. Um, and I just want us to sort of refine our authority. And I would say since Christmas, I've just had this consistent picture every time we've come to pray of just hundreds and hundreds of lions, and I think they're angels, just on the hills waiting for us to rise up in authority. So what I would like to do just to seal tonight, and I'd like to do it both over us as a church, but also over any individuals, just as we do this, that it's almost chasing out the disappointment, the stuff where, you know, I know it, we hold back, don't we? We don't want to make a fuss, da 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 uh, And it's almost like just pushing all that away, kicking off the box and saying, I'm going to do this with you, Jesus, and I'm going to kick ass and see your kingdom come in this place. So I'm going to lead us in a roar tonight to seal this. And this is for you to chase away disappointment, the loss of voice, the loss of any, everything the enemy's ravaged, but it's also for us as a church to say, actually, we are going to step into the kingdom here. 
Um, some of us have been going at this for a while, and we're not taking a backward step. James just said it, didn't he? No retreat, no surrender. And over our dead bodies to the Lord, we are going to see God's kingdom come. Not through striving or straining, but through stepping in in the royal authority Jesus has given us. And we're going to see this place transformed. We're going to see the region changed. And we're going to see all that God purposes come in this place. Anyone agree with that? Okay. So in just a moment, we're... I I don't know how to use the band for this, so you've been amazing. Should we just say thank you to these guys? Would you just take a moment just to contemplate changing gear and stepping into the authority Jesus has shared with us? Let's take a moment to contemplate what needs to be left behind and what do we need to step into into that warrior spirit that he's calling our church into and calling you into tonight. So just consider it and contemplate it for just a moment. Lord, we just say we we cannot do it in our own strength. Thank you for letting us come to the end of ourselves. Thank you for teaching us that we have to depend on you. Because if we look to anything else, and if we look to ourselves, we cannot bear fruit. And so, Lord, thank you for letting us come to the end of ourselves. As Jackie Pullin just said, when we come to the end of ourselves, God can begin. So, Lord, thank you that you shared every spiritual blessing with us in your precious son, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we step up, we step forth, and we stand tall in him. No retreat, no surrender. Jesus, receive our everything. And I I just want to say, save us from lukewarm Christianity. Would you burn like a fire in all of our hearts? And Father, we we just want to say, we we throw away unbelief. We throw away cynicism, apathy, just a... uh, in the name of Jesus, I break a spirit of lethargy that's just settled over, over as some of us here and over the church. I break you now in the name of Jesus. I bind you up and I send you to Jesus. He'll judge you and he'll do with you justly and righteously. And in the name of Jesus, I just loose an alertness, an awakening, a, a burning heart of love for Jesus, which is going to step forth and never fear anything in this world. And we just say, Jesus, you're the treasure in the field. You're the pearl of great price. You're the one we love. We're giving everything for because you gave everything for us. Thank you, Jesus. So after three, we're just going to roar over your own life and over the church and over these communities, over this land. And I thank you, Father, that you purpose this place to be an entry point for your kingdom, to transform the South Downs and beyond. Thank you, Lord, that you've called this, this church to one of the anchor points as you open up this canopy of open heaven over this nation and turn a, ch- a nation back to you. And so we take our stand in that. We stand up in that. And we take authority in the name of Jesus to say, Father, thank you. Everything. Amen. <laughs> One, two, three.